0: Academy Award-winning filmmaker Alfonso Cuaron wrote, produced, and directed Roma, his deeply personal story about his upbringing in Mexico City and the housekeeper that helped to raise him. Additionally, the visionary filmmaker served as director of photography, and he also edited the Netflix movie with Adam Goh. Roma has already won a slew of awards, including Best Picture and Best Cinematography from the Los Angeles Film Critics, and the film earned three Golden Globe nominations, including Best Director for Cuaron. I'm Carolyn Giardina, and on this episode of The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen, I'm very excited to introduce Alfonso Cuaron, who joins us to talk about the cinematography and editing of his intimate story, Roma. The multi-talented Cuaron won Oscars for directing and editing his 2013 Space Adventure Gravity, which he also wrote and produced. He also wrote and directed 2006's Children of Men, for which he was Oscar-nominated for writing and editing, and 2001's Ichimama Tambien, for which he was also Oscar-nominated for writing. Alfonso, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So, my first question is, you were the writer, you were the director, you were the producer Why did you additionally decide to take on the tasks of cinematographer and editor?
1: Well, the editor one, I have done it in half of my films, at least. Sure. You have an
0: Academy Award for Gravity, actually.
1: Oh, yeah, that's correct. And I was a nomination, had a nomination for Children of Men before. And I have edited, wow, I think I've done like eight or nine films, and I think I edit five of them, you know? So that's something that I, I enjoy doing. I like doing. It's part of, For me, it's part of the process of, of the point and the reason of making films. As a cinematographer, well, this was a film that was designed for Chivo, Emanuel Lubeski And I actually started prepping with Chivo because our times didn't fit. Chivo couldn't do it. And when it was a definite answer that he could not do it, and, and to explain
0: you. why this was, it was 108 days of shooting
1: days. Well, it's because the, the reason I designed this film for Chivo, I wrote it thinking of Chivo, I designed it thinking of Chivo, I budgeted thinking of Chivo, because something that we always complain about is in film, the, the thing that you like the most is time. Time to prep, time to shoot, and time to press produce image, but also the image finishing, the eye, and the sound mix so in this budget, I allow a lot of time for all of that and we start prepping and uh, as we were going I decided to stretch the prep then as we were going I started saying no oh, well we need more time of the in the shooting schedule we keep on expanding everything until precisely the thing that is what we were asking for is exactly the same reason why Chivo could not do it this time because only. He had other commitments, and this was not feasible anymore. Did you
0: ever consider bringing on a different
1: cinematographer? Yeah, because this happened maybe two and a half weeks before we started shooting. I have already done camera tests with Chivo. More than camera tests, lighting tests to define if we were going with the Alexa 65 or we were going 35 turning to black and white or going directly with the 35 Alexa with a black and white chip. When this happened was two and a half weeks before we started shooting. And it was not Chiva's fault, it was mine. Of I keep on refusing, says, no, you're going to do it, Chiva. And eventually says, "Just yes, you know what, it's time for you to move on. And I had conversations with a few people that I fully admire and they were so generous and ready to jump. But then I realized that my communication in the set was going to be in English because most of them were not from Mexico. And I didn't want to have to on the set, the communication in English, because part of the point of this film was to bring on filter stuff from my memory, in which my mother tongue was very important. And it's what Chivo said, you know what, Alfonso, stop fooling around, you have to do it. He was the one that said, and says, no, Chivo, says, yes, you you know how to do it, just do it. And that was the reason I, I ended up doing it.
0: No, you had a collaborator though, uh, Galo Olivares. Galo
1: Olivares, yes.
0: Who is credited as the camera operator and cinematography collaborator? Collaborator. What does that yes. mean?
1: <laughs> what it means is that he's a great operator. He's a DP in his own right. You know, young. He has just uh, a few credits, a couple of credits, but he has a very beautiful eye. And I, ve- I felt very comfortable to have someone who would be operating, but I could just turn it to him and. and It was just his face to feel that he liked what we were doing. The communication with the gaffer was uh, mostly mine. Like same with the DI and stuff. I knew it was going to be a long process. I'm the person who follows from preparation to shooting the whole film into the whole post process. But it was amazing to have Gallo also, you know, to have
0: but you use the term cinematography collaborator. Did Gallo you know, take on some additional roles? Not or?
1: really. You know, he was really part of the team. And he was, the oper- uh, you know, he was operating. But, you know, he would sometimes he would come and say, no, it's great. Can I ask for a black field? I says, So, oh, you know, what? great idea. You know what I mean? And says, you know, it's, it's because he has a great eye. And he liked what we were doing. He had never done a film this big with a lot of the tools and toys that we were using. His work is a beautiful work based more in natural light that it was impossible in this film because shooting in interiors in 65 millimeters and a very close f-stop to have more depth of field. You know, so I would implement all the, the lighting and once in a while he would say, hey, what about a, a white field here? Are you sure you don't want something over there? You, you know what I mean? And it was great to have him in the set. Also, he's a great operator, as you can see in the film. He's an amazing operator. But he's a DP in his own right. Don't get wrong. that he's, That's what he does, operating.
0: Okay. And you chose the Arri Alexa 65, which is Arri's digital large format camera. And as far as the overall look, what was your inspiration? Were there any photographers or films? or What, what informed the look for you?
1: The funny thing is that this film is a film that I wanted to do trying not to have any reference, not to have any... I kind of repress all my influence as a director, as a writer, in every single front. I wanted all this stuff to come unfiltered. I wanted to do a black and white, but a black and white that I have never seen because I didn't want this to be a vintage black and white, a black and white that would look like something done in the 60s or in the 50s. I wanted a digital black and white that would embrace digital not to try to hide the digital quality of it with amazing resolution amazing dynamic range you know an amazing definition so i have to say there was not a point of reference for this because i haven't seen it nevertheless in terms of the method of working the constant reference was ansel adams it's so funny because it's so digital and i'm talking, going back to ansel adams in terms of his own theories, you know, just to make sure that the everything... And that's the, the collaboration I, I had with the DIT all the time was about every frame needs to have information in every single inch of it, meaning that I will have to go... I wanted to go into deep blacks but still have some detail, and I would go into highlights but still have detail, you know? So it was... It was a work that was a combination between the shoot, lighting, between plates that we created in the shoot after each shot, so we could just roll the camera and do the same shot with, without the actors, but sometimes two stops down, three stops down or up in order to gain, with skies to, to make sure that we would have information and it would not clip in any in any little inch. I didn't want any pixel to be clipped and same with the low ends. I wanted to be able to never crush the blacks, always to have some detail. And that was then added into the DI work.
0: And let's clarify for the uninitiated, the oh, DI yeah. stands for digital intermediate, and that's where you are working on digital, effectively digital color timing. And you have a lot of other tools that you can Yeah, and, and this is well. this color
1: timing, but color timing for black and white, that it means to go into the layers of grace. And there I worked with Steve Scott, that is an amazing colorist, a Technicolor, and he understood the concept that we're talking about, the Ansel Adams, because I was used to do that process in the darkroom printing photographs. I was just following the principles of printing in a photo in which you just block areas to allow some areas to go more light you know, in your paper and sometimes in, and less light in some other parts of your paper to bring the information on and to respect the information that is there the thing is that to do that in a film it requires a lot of rotoscoping so we had to rotoscope so much of the film in order to for me to be able to play with the different layers and give different values You know, a lot of, most of them were already established with the lighting, but it was to take it one step further. Same as Ansel Adams, you know, the the key was how he exposed every shot, but then he had so much work in the post-production to achieve the beautiful thing, you know, the beautiful quality of his prints. And so that was, you're talking about photographers. Yeah, the funny thing is probably the reference was Ansel Adams.
0: Let's move on to editing. And for this, you had a new co-editor this time. You worked with Adam Goh. Tell us a little bit how you worked together, first of all, during production, when you were also directing and shooting, and then how you worked together
1: in post. Well, nobody, not the crew, not the actors, nobody had the screenplay. And I shot in absolute chronological order. Adam didn't have the script, so he would start learning what the movie was about as he was receiving dailies part of the challenge is that, and then he start putting, you know, organizing material, but the challenge is that there's not one take that is same as the next one because between take one and take two, I would complete change or staging or dynamics between actors. And it was fantastic to have this f- set of fresh eyes going through all of that because what happens as a director is that sometimes you obsessively are repeating the take because you feel that you don't have it, because something that you have, a preconception that you haven't achieved. When a fresh set of eyes finds that it was there from take three and it was amazing, and it's way better than the take 12 where that preconceived thing of the director finally succeeds. So he started making his notes. So that was the whole process of, of shooting, besides organizing was about making his notes.
0: And we should also mention that he was working with a translator.
1: Oh, yes, because he doesn't speak Spanish, so he was working with a translator in which no take was the same, so each take had to be translated in a different way.
0: And mm. you shot a lot of takes. Yes,
1: like, for instance, there's a scene that is, I think, it's four minutes long that we shot 64 takes, and all of them are different. So he had to go through all of this stuff. And then once that he went through all of the stuff is what we call the tiling, Telling meant each one of the takes, of the 64 takes, had to be broken down by segments of length or of character, meaning that if I have my favorite take, but then in the dialogue there's some noise that is corrupting the, the, the line, or if I'm not crazy about the performance, I could very quickly access to that specific moment in each single take, to be able to borrow the sound of that into this new take. You know, so this process of tiling, I think we end up having more tiles than if I have done an action film in terms of having a lot of setups. It's interesting because you would see the timeline of, a t- of, of the visual timeline, and it's, it was just one single color. But then you would see the sound timeline and it was like like a tutti frutti. It was a confetti of different colors of different takes that were used for the same take. And on top of that, because we knew that we were going to post-produce in Atmos and we needed the separation of each one of these characters, the sound mixer had already done separate tracks for different characters. So we had to add that into each one of the selected takes. So it was a very laborious work.
0: When you were in post-production, did you divide up the scenes or were you working together on it the scenes? It was just scene?
1: basically, the in post-production, I said, we're not going to cut anything. You're welcome to go back and forth into the material. The most important thing is that when we finish production and we start post-production, all the material is super organized in this thing that we call tiles that is breaking down each one of the takes into little details of each one of the takes. So we had easy access. So instead of, once that we start working, instead of saying, okay, let's look for a dialogue of this, looking three minutes until you find that dialogue, it was already organized. So it was a huge job of organizing throughout the production. And then when we start post-production, it was just the fun thing to start putting the film together because every take was different. What could happen, and happen very often, is that we selected this first take, we connected to the second, then to the third, and we connected to the fourth, but we realized that for that fourth, this take is fundamental, but that doesn't make sense anymore with the other three scenes before. So it was a domino effect of having to start again. And that was just to assemble the film, not considering Something that is very difficult when you're editing a film that is composed in very long takes is that your cutting point has to be absolutely precise. You know, in many ways I find because I cut scenes that are like I, I have done scenes that are with a lot of cuts throughout my career. In this film, there's a scene of the car parking that has a lot of cuts and those are easier there's like a natural thing of, okay, this is the moment in which this action finished. When you're connecting a four minute stake with a two minute stake, it's so critical that cutting point. And it's so critical that you can cut maybe 45 minutes of your film and you start watching it again and you have to revisit most of the cuts, you know, because it's about the flow. It's, I find editing and cinema in general that more to do with literature or theater that I don't think has anything to do with theater or literature, cinema is related to music. And it's how the flow of the cinematic experience travels in time. So it's so important. It's like in music that, you know, you have a very long note that is connecting with this other note, but suddenly you find the amazing theme And you realize that the theme is a little bit faster than all the notes that were setting them up. So you have to go back and reassess all of those first few notes.
0: Editing is sometimes referred to as the final rewrite. And you hear stories about you know how scenes are, maybe might be removed in post-production or taken out. Because of the way you shot it in this linear way, is it safe to assume that this was very much as you, I don't want to use the word scripted because I know you didn't have the script, but. No, no,
1: but I, I wrote the screenplay. Right. <laughs> I wrote a very precise screenplay that that describe every single sound, every single, it's very, very dense the screenplay but it was very specific. Usually when I'm doing a film, if I have new ideas, I start rewriting a new scene and I implement it here. I wrote the script after one year of just accessing my memories. I wrote the screenplay in three weeks and I decided not to touch it. I didn't show it to anyone. If I would have an idea in the middle of the shoot of a new scene, I wouldn't do it. I had to respect the original impulse. So I didn't add any new scene, and maybe only we got rid of maybe four scenes in the whole film, and it was just a matter of flow. Again, this musicality. A couple of scenes that I love, that I hope they're going to be in the extras, but in terms of the flow, it would either lengthen one piece of the structure, or in other cases, one that I love, but it proved to be very distracting in the sense that it was calling too much attention to itself. That basically is, I had an amazing one shot deal of the dog in the patio walking around and, until he sits and takes a crap, you know? But it proved distracting because, and it was a scripted, you know, because of the metaphorical value that that crap starts to have in, in, through the whole film of the dog. But it proved that it was kind of calling attention to itself, so we have to lift it.
0: Because of the unconventional way that you made this film, do you think there is room for new roles? Or will the roles start changing in the way movies are made?
1: I think that movie making is changing itself. Even from the standpoint of what a movie means, we have this now established convention in which A film is something that lasts over an hour and a half and tends to last two hours, two hours and a half. Some big movies, three hours. This is a convention inherited, and it's a commercial convention that was inherited from the theater experience in the silent films. And we tend to call short films to anything that doesn't fit this norm. What is amazing with what is happening in terms of all the digital revolution and the different platforms to distribute films, and I'm talking about the big platforms and independent platforms, is that sometimes length is is not the... Cinema is just cinema, you know? And I think that very soon cinema is going to start reclaiming its right of different lengths, you know? Amazing films, not short films, amazing films that are three minutes long, coexisting with amazing films that are 12 hours long that you can watch in different steps. Not serious. It's a very different thing. A series and a, and a film, they haven't really kind of merged, fully merged yet. You know, there's rarely the real, true cinematic experience in series. There are a couple that they go very close, but they haven't really done it. You know, the series, they have more a narrative structure rather than a cinematic structure. So, and by this, I'm saying that just by the nature of that, the roles will start merging and changing. There's also a new generation of filmmakers, and it's a young generation that is way more technical savvy than any of us while we were growing up. We had to be very specialized. There's a new generation that understands so many things that I don't understand in terms of digital technology, that overlaps between the different disciplines. So I, I would think that there would be in the future a greater plasticity, but it doesn't matter. What matters is the result. And I also, as long as that plasticity respects the discipline, there's something that makes cinematographers I admire so much is their amazing discipline and knowledge. You know, sometimes also by plasticity one can take into a lack of discipline and and have knowledges. I think that the great ones will always be the ones that they enjoy the knowledge of their craft. I see that it's very possible that that could happen.
0: Well, It's an incredibly moving film and thank you for joining us and chatting with us about it. Congratulations.
1: I, you know, it's just that finally it's just, it's just I'm so tired of talking about all this other stuff when I love the craft. I can tell. I I love the craft. Thank you so much. Well, this was a nice conversation. I enjoyed it too. Thank you. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you.